Alright, before we get started, I'm going to lay this, this cross here down. I'm going to grab this stuff over here, which I found in my drawer. I'm going to throw these on there. Just makes it look a little more like home for me. I preach, <laughs> preach better when I, when I feel comfortable. Just kind of... Alright, good? Look good? How's that work? Good sermon? We done? Let's see, let's see if that has anything to do with something. What I want to do today is share with you what, what I've been doing in, in my head. I hope God's been doing some of this. Do a little power washing and repositioning. Just be honest with each other. I'm going to talk about Christmas today. We're going to talk about what we think of, why we think of it, and what we should do with it. And before you start thinking you know where I'm going here, I'm not going to uh, speak negatively on the things that we often associate with Christmas. I would say maybe some of those add-ons maybe should be removed for a period of time, but I also might challenge you and say some of those add-ons to the Christmas season maybe should come out again and, and become a part of our celebration. But I want to do, what I want to do today is I want to share seven crazy verses. The Christmas story has a lot of stuff that's been hung on it over the years. It's been kind of piled on a little bit, so it often gets hard to see what the, the Christmas story truly is. So what I want to do is I want to show you God's narrative of, of the Christmas story. And I want to unpack it, and I want to show you just two things from it today that should blow your mind, that should help you understand why this is the most joyful season, and then I'll explain to you, hopefully, why we don't always feel that way when we look at it. So let's start with the verses, and then we'll begin to unpack it. I'm in Luke chapter 2. The entire Christmas narrative is, is in seven verses in the Bible. Nowhere else, this is it. Right? The whole story that God gave to us goes like this. In those days, those are the days of Luke 1, the leading up to here, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. That's what God gives us. That is the entirety of the Christmas story that we have. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. I made a list here. It says, when I think of Christmas, I think of, and I took off my pretentious pastoral robes, I become completely transparent, and this is my list. Ready? Trees, Santa, stockings, shopping, gifts, cookies, cards, family, parties, lights, parade, gingerbread, eggnog, and Jesus. Would you guys kind of identify with my list? It's a whole lot of stuff. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's a great song, man. Elf was on last night. Great movie. When you think of Christmas, you think of Elf. No? Well, what I want to do today is I'm not going to condemn these things at all. I don't think they need to be, and I don't think they should be condemned. 
I think perhaps as, as Christians we spend too much time pointing out things that are wrong as opposed to rejoicing in the things that are right. I'm not condemning any of this stuff. You come in my house, you'll see the leaning tree of Pisa. It's lit up. It's decorated. What I'm going to challenge, though, is that we ask God to remove the clutter and put it in its proper place so we can read those seven verses and truly rejoice and see the hope, the joy, and the peace, and the, the love that resides in them. Let's start out this way, though. Have you ever wondered where all the stuff came from? You know, there's not a Christmas story, seven verses. You keep reading that Bible, nowhere does God say, you shall celebrate the birth of the Lord on the 25th day of December from here for perpetuity and decorate your homes with garland and sing songs of merriment unto me. God always speaks in a British accent. I don't know if you know. When you get to heaven, he will look like a Braveheart, you know? Jesus looks like Braveheart. God looks like old man in the movie Braveheart, and he speaks with a British accent. I'll freak out when that doesn't happen. So where did all the stuff come from? How do we know Jesus was born on December 25th? Anyone know what verse that is? It's not in there. Simple fact of the matter is he wasn't born on December 25th. He was born in a whole different time of the year, most, most certainly. So why December 25th? It's important to understand this. You see, for hundreds of years before Jesus was born, there were celebrations going on that look a whole lot like what we have. In fact, if you could time travel and go from today to about 400 years B.C., I think we would all be a little freaked out. If you went into the Nordic regions, where Braveheart lived, if you went into those regions in December, you would see homes decorated with garland. You would see evergreen trees inside homes with ornaments. You would hear people singing carols and having parties and giving gifts. This is a historical fact. You would go and you would say, how the heck are they celebrating Christmas when Jesus wasn't even born yet? Well, what happened over time, missionaries went into these regions. And they said, how do we reach these people for Christ? How do we share the gospel in a way that, that they'll be receptive to? And, and this is the origins of the what we consider the seeker-sensitive or the seeker-driven movement. How do, we, how do we make the message easier to receive and, and make it more accommodating to the people so they'll just be like, oh, this is, this is not a big difference. This doesn't cost me much at all. In fact, we can mix in a little Jesus with what we have. And the missionaries contacted the bishops, and the bishops escalated it. And from the top, they said, let's do this. Let's sanctify December. Let's put a celebration of the birth of our Savior in the midst of these pagan celebrations, and it will make it easier for people to come out of their pagan celebrations of false gods and worship the one true God. You see, December was a time of, it is a time of, dark, dreary weather. You're in the solstice period. And they would, the pagans would petition the false gods of nature to bring the sun back and bring growth back and bring them crops in the spring and in the summer. And they would have these parties of celebration of their, their pagan gods. And in this attempt to sanctify the holiday, something happened over the years that has always happened, even in our time, whenever you try to just mix a little bit of Jesus in with the culture. Whenever you try to make a man-powered work out of a God-sized uh, endeavor, uh, the pagan holidays weren't sanctified. But little by little, the Christian celebration became paganized. And what we have today, not bad, not good, just what we have, are 
pagan traditions that have smothered the biblical narrative. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was a pagan deity known as Rudolph. No, I'm just kidding with that. <laughs> what I want to do today is I want to look at these seven verses again and slowly. And I want to see what's so wonderful under there and what we can tell people Christmas is about so that while we decorate our homes with garland, while we have our trees, while we sing our songs and eat our cookies and mail our cards and give our gifts and have a great time, that we're having it for all the right reasons. And rather than accommodating to the celebration that the world has, we might try to call the world to the celebration that we can have. Okay? So I, I, see, I see many things here, but in these seven verses I see two things that really should blow your mind. At the beginning comes the first. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Anyone know who Caesar Augustus was? Emperor of Rome, yeah. Caesar Augustus was the Emperor of Rome. He was born Gaius Octavius. His mom didn't say when he came out, let us call him Caesar Augustus. That's a title. And it's a title that is a, a title for a deity, which you'll see in a minute. But he was born Gaius Octavius. And his mom's name was Attia. And she was a niece of Julius Caesar, who you've probably heard of. He was a pretty powerful man. And Julius had a fondness for Gaius, who was his great nephew. And he actually adopted him as his own son. And when Julius Caesar was murdered, Gaius became emperor after a little bit of battle, went on with a guy named Mark Antony, who you may have heard of, and some other people that tried to grab power. Well, ultimately Gaius, Octavius, became emperor. And when he became emperor, the Senate gave him a title. And the title they bestowed upon him was Caesar Augustus. It was a declaration that this man was a god. He was to be worshipped. His word was simply what it was. Truth was declared from his lips because he was a divine man. Gaius Octavius Caesar Augustus ruled for 45 years until 14 AD. This is a man who was emperor when Jesus was born, but as you get later into the Gospels, this is not the emperor to whom, and into Acts, to whom says, Paul says, you know, Send me to Caesar. You have a different emperor there. But during the birth time, you have Gaius Octavius. He did a lot of stuff. He extended and expanded the empire in extreme ways. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, when roads were built. Uh, a lot of the groundwork which God used to, to spread the gospel throughout the known earth all happened under this man's reign. So Gaius Octavius, a man who thought he was God, declared that all the world should be registered. And while this man who thought he was God reigned, something interesting happened. The God who is became a man. This most powerful human being on the planet. We, we probably can't even comprehend this type of power today. There's nothing similar, I don't think, in the world. Certainly not in our culture. A person who was truly viewed as a God who had the ability to figuratively move heaven and earth at his word. Think of, I, I don't even know, think, think of the world's most powerful monarch with the world's most powerful military who has the ability to suppress every human being on the planet by decree. That's what you have here. And the most powerful man on the world determined that they were going to have a census. Everyone had to go to their hometown to be counted. Censuses were for military conscription and taxation. Jews were 
uh, not required to serve in the Roman military. They were required to pay taxes. Octavius wanted to know how many people he had so he could maximize his power, increase his military, and increase his revenue. And he said, go to your homes. And everybody had to go to their homes. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. The most powerful man on the planet said, go to your hometowns. And these insignificant, average, humble little folk from a backwoods town called Nazareth right now, a 14-year-old and a 13-year-old, 13-year-old swollen with a baby in her belly, matter of weeks away from coming out, had to go for a 90-mile journey through some very difficult terrain because this wicked man who thought he was God said go. Now put yourself in, in Mary and Joseph's shoes for a minute. This is a unique baby. They know who the baby is. God made that very clear. God, why? Why, why Mary might say, why would, you, why would you allow this? And then call me to leave my mom and, and my home and, and everything I'm comfortable with. And how am I going to even survive? What if something happens to the Messiah in my belly 90 miles through this terrain? Is God, why? Why would you allow this, this emperor to, to do such a thing? It, it, just, it just, I can't understand it. Think of Joseph, the husband. He's trying to care for his wife. And, and what's he going to do? Now, there's been some discrepancy over why Mary had to go with Joseph. We ultimately don't know. I suspect Joseph was a little bit interested in being around for the birth of this rather unique baby. You know, honey, I'll be back in a few months. I have to go to Bethlehem. Let me know how it goes. This is a significant birth. Perhaps Mary was required to go. Irregardless, Mary went. Joseph would have been a little bit stressed out, shall we say. He, he has a little bit of responsibility caring for the mother of the Messiah. He, he's going to have to get her somehow 90 miles to Bethlehem. And then when they get to Bethlehem, you know, he's got to figure out what they're doing in Bethlehem. And God, what is going on? God, help me take care of my wife. God, what shall I do? And there are a lot of coincidences that just took place here. A lot of luck of the draw. These are two words, if you know the Lord, you can just throw out. I say all the time to people, good luck. Do you know there's no such thing as luck? There's no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as coincidence. None. Instead of saying good luck, what you want to say to people is, may the Lord's favor be with you. It sounds awkward. You know, I'm going on an interview. Good luck. You know, I'm going on an interview. May the favor of the Lord be with you. Because there's no such thing as luck. And they say, could you just be quiet? Go, okay. But you understand there's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as chance. Everything is ordained by a sovereign God who is in control of everything. Who is in control of everything. God at just the right time, somehow, for some reason, caused Gaius Octavius to one day sit down and say, huh, we need to have a census. And the machinery began to, to move to execute this census in just the right way, in just the right timing, so word got to Mary and Joseph at just the right time so that this woman who got pregnant at just the right time could make this 90-mile trek over just the right amount of time to arrive in Bethlehem at just the right time so in a few days the Messiah would be born. This wasn't by chance. This wasn't by coincidence. This was by divine providence. And Gaius Octavius, the most powerful man in the world, was simply a pawn in the hand of God. 
Do you ever stop and think about that? The wicked plans of men are unable to thwart the plans of God. Now, I would venture there are pastors all over the place preaching some sort of sermon about what happened on Friday in Connecticut at the school shooting. I finished this one up on Friday. And as I was thinking about this, you watch the news reports of people who are rightfully besides themselves, freaked out, hopeless, helpless, lost, inconsolable. I, I don't know, we briefly spoke about it at breakfast, I don't know how I would handle something like that, but I know how I should handle something like that. You see, the scary little truth is that what happened in Connecticut didn't happen while God was working somewhere else in the world. What happened in Connecticut happened because God allowed it to happen. And God isn't wicked. And I can't explain why he would allow it to happen. Just like I couldn't explain to people in this time why God would make Mary and Joseph huff 90 miles through horribly difficult terrain to go to Bethlehem and end up finding they have no place to stay to give birth to a baby. I don't know why. But I know the end of the story. You see, for most people, you have a hard time explaining to your kids, how do you deal with something like that? For most parents, you have a hard time comprehending, how do you deal with something like this? In a community where evil shows up so clearly, you have a hard time wrapping your mind around, okay, how do we process this? And you know how you process it? Without God, you simply can't. You could ignore it, you could distort it, you can medicate it, but you can't deal with it apart from God. There are a couple interesting verses in the Bible. Just a couple. In the book of Isaiah, in, 20, verse 20, in chapter 26, verse 3, God says to the prophet, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Mary and Joseph had to keep their focus on God because it made no sense what was going on. In Connecticut, if people don't know God, they can't focus on God. And if you can't focus on God, you can never have perfect peace and hope and joy. You simply can't. Again in Isaiah in 41.10, God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Mary and Joseph hung on that verse when things made no sense, and they held on to God's promise that he was who he said he was, and he would do what he said he would do, even when the circumstances made no sense. Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened or do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When I look at this Christmas story and I look at the front half of this, I see a God who is all-powerful, sovereignly in control of every aspect of creation. Nothing happens outside of His providence. He allows or causes everything that happens. And it is only in knowing who God is that we could have any semblance of joy and peace and hope and comfort in a screwed up world that we live in. In a screwed up world that, that Mary and Joseph live in. When a wicked emperor says go and they're sitting there going, but the baby might die, but I might die, but I don't know what's going to happen. I'm leaving everything I'm comfortable with. They were able to go because they knew who the Lord was and they knew who was in control of everything. You see, Christmas isn't about a tree, and it's not about garland, and it's not about Rudolph, and it's not about gifts. It's about a sovereign God who is in control of 
everything. Everything. Schools in Connecticut, Messiah's in the bellies, and everything in your life. But the reality is this. Sometimes we get afraid, don't we? Sometimes we get overwhelmed. Sometimes we get concerned. We can't control every aspect of our kids. They grow up and make choices. And we think, oh shoot, what if they ruin their lives? We can't control all the people we live in relationship with. We can't control our employers. We can't control everything in our body. Sometimes we fall down and break. Sometimes we get sick. Sometimes people struggle with mental illness. We can't control all of this and we freak out. God, what am I going to do? The sky's falling. I'm going to die. He says, the sky's not falling. Yes, you are going to die, but take a deep breath. And you understand the second part of the Christmas story. And this is where it really starts to come together. The most powerful man in the world decided to call a census. And he made Mary and Joseph go. But it ultimately wasn't the most powerful man on the planet. It was God. And I wonder in the back of my mind, let's fold a couple of these up. I wonder in the back of my mind, if Joseph and Mary were completely freaked out, or remember we talked about last week how they had a knowledge of, of Scripture. Anybody have a Bible in front of them? You got tabs? I'll make, can you grab Micah? Micah 5.2. This would be a verse that Mary and Joseph would know. And I, I just wonder, when this decree came out, and, and Gaius Octavius, Caesar Augustus said go, I wonder at what point this verse rung in Joseph and Mary's head. You got it yet? No. You love those obscure Old Testament minor prophetic books? Grab in the area of Jonah and you're really, really close. Or go right at Jonah. You go ahead. You know who that's talking about? That's some baby in Mary's belly. You keep going, it says in verse 4, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Verse 2, it says right there, But you, O Bethlehem, I can't even say it now, Ephrathah is just another name for Bethlehem. You who are too, be, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me. God said in Micah a whole long time before this event that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. I wonder at what point Mary and Joseph thought, oh my gosh, it's not the emperor. It's God. We miss that. We have to go to Bethlehem. Of course we're going to get to Bethlehem. That's where this baby is born because every word of God proves true. Every promise of God is fulfilled. In fact, in Jesus, every promise of God is fulfilled. So we have this most powerful man who thought he was a god, and the God, who is truly powerful, became a man. That's the second part of the Christmas story. Now watch this. So they show up. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. 
She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. That's the whole baby book account when you grab Jesus' baby book. Don't know the birth weight. Don't know the eye color. There's no footprint dipped in ink. It's a baby born in a barn, wrapped in cloths, and stuck in a feeding trough to go to sleep. This is God in the flesh. This is not how a, an emperor, a real emperor, shows up, is it? Gaius Octavius probably slept in comfortable silk sheets. High thread count stuff. He ate fine food. He lived in a giant palace. He had boats to take him out on the water to cool him. And then God shows up. And if I was God, I'm not, thank God. I would have some pomp and circumstance. I'd have some angels lining the, lining the land. I would have a, a palace rip out of the ground for me. I'd have some really cool sheets, and I'd be carried by people on one of those freaky, you know, carrying house things that people put on their shoulders. But that's not how Jesus came in. Now, the problem we have is we know Christmas has something to do with God being powerful and something to do with Jesus being born, who was God, but it makes no sense, so we grab on to the stuff because the stuff is a lot more fun. But if you stop and think about this, Jesus became one of us. What did that entail? What did he give up? Where, where did Jesus come to us from? Heaven. Could you imagine? Try to, try to wrap your mind around this. If God took you to heaven, see, this is one of the problems I have with those books. You know, I, I went to heaven and here's my story. If God took you to heaven and then made you come back, You'd be devastated. If you spent a moment of time in sinless perfection in the presence of God, if all pain and suffering and hurt and sadness was gone, and you could gaze clearly upon God, if you could experience a mind that functioned sinlessly, a body that was not corrupted by sin, in an environment where there was no evil, where God was as clear to you as could be, and then he said, okay, go back, you, you would not be able to deal with it. And that's why he doesn't do that. That's why I have a very hard time with people who tell stories. I went to heaven and saw my grandpa, and I'm excited to go back. You ain't been to heaven, because if you went to heaven, you would not be able to express what you saw, and all you'd talk about would be Jesus. Now, Paul had a vision of heaven. He's telling the truth. But Jesus wasn't just an average Joe in heaven. This is God himself. He, he had perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, perpetual praises of angels, living in perfection. And he came down to earth. Why? He gave up a position of equality with the Father. He gave up the immediate presence of the other two figures in the Trinity. He gave up the continual praises of angels. He left perfection to come into this corrupt sinless land of his enemies to be born in a barn to be rejected by many to lay in a manger in the stank of animal poop why? do you ever slow down and think about the why? because he loved the unlovely because he loved his enemies as bad as it would be for you to be in heaven and have to come back imagine being in heaven and then you choosing God Send me down so that I could find that person who horrendously mistreated my child and die for them so that they might live. You would never even think of that, would you? Take, take the most heinous 
act that any person can do to you or someone you love, imagine it happens. And imagine leaving perfection so that they might be forgiven and you ain't even close to the separation we had from God. And Jesus decided, while we were still sinners, to come down, to be born as a baby, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross so that we might live. Not because we deserved it. You don't deserve it. Some people say, I don't, I don't feel like I'm good enough for God. You got it. You're not. Some people say, I don't know if I'm good enough to go to heaven. You got it. You're not. There is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God and you have an eternity of separation from Him. That is what you have earned. And this all-powerful, holy and righteous God who is judge, who one day will return to judge the entire earth, decided in his perfect providence that before I do, I will leave perfection and live in this filth because these wicked people who sin against me, who rebel against me, who hate me and who want me dead, I love them so much that I will live the perfect life fully as a man and fully as God so I may take their sin upon me so I may be the perfect sacrifice so they might be forgiven and be able to live with me forever. Now that's a pretty cool Christmas story, at least I think. I don't know that I need a tree to make that a cool holiday. I don't know that I need garland to make that a cool holiday. I think I can do it without Elf and I can do it without Rudolph and just be blown away day by day thinking about the fact that God is sovereignly in control of everything. And that God loves me so much that while I was still a sinner, Christ came to die for me. Now listen up close, because I'm going to finish folding this stuff. This is what Christmas is about. Christmas is simply about this. It's about understanding that there is a God, one God, and no other. That God, I don't care who you think he is, he is who he is. And he has made everything, and he has a rightful claim to everything, and he will one day judge everything. So while the entire world around us has a holly jolly Christmas, please hear me clearly. There is one God and there is no other. One day he's coming back. And when he comes back, the world is in a big, big pot of trouble. Except for one thing. We have this holiday called Christmas. And Christmas... Is not the end of the story, but it's the beginning of the end. Because on Christmas, this crazy, crazy thing happened. This God who is came back because he had such love for the unlovely. Christmas is about power, holiness, grace, love, and mercy. Christmas is about God's butt. You read the Midweek Thought this week? You didn't. Go check it out and see what the heck I'm doing talking about God's butt. It's Ephesians 2.4. Christmas is a story that is incomprehensibly joyful and incomprehensibly sad all at the same time. God loves us, and God died for us. You ever stop and think about it that way? It's about a sovereign God with a love beyond comprehension. Now, i got all this stuff folded up. I feel like I've accomplished something today. I folded laundry. Stand this back up. Put these over there. That doesn't wow you, does it? Can we be honest? You might have heard what I said, but there's that part of your mind that's going, yeah, I got things to do, great, okay, blah, blah, Christmas, but we got things to do. Right? 
don't shake your head, make me feel bad, but you'll leave here, and as you go through the week, you'll forget what I said, I'll forget what I said too, and as we get closer to next Tuesday, you get a little more excited, and you know, the cards start showing up, the gifts start getting purchased, getting ready for family to come in, you got eggnog in the fridge, and you got a party to go to on Saturday, and Christmas is coming, but hold on a minute, how do we make this look right? How do we make this the most wonderful, joyful time of the year? Force it. Now your heads are closed with a benediction. That don't work. Remember we got spiritual lethargy. Remember that one? Visual lethargy when you drive to work 30 times. You don't even notice the stuff around you anymore. You guys came in here today. How many cars did you pass? What were the names of the roads you passed? See any birds on? You don't notice this stuff. You're just you're going to church for the umpteenth time. We need to slow down and pay attention. We need to do the difficult work of walking in daily obedience to Christ. We need to carry out the spiritual disciplines He calls us to, of spending time in His Word, spending time in prayer, spending time in, in uh, fellowship with one another. We can try not to do it, and I'll tell you what will happen, is you'll just reclutter that cross. Because that's what God says. We need to work on the spiritual lethargy. We need to work on walking in daily obedience to God. And we need to be careful with the worldly clutter. Guys, we can't sanctify Christmas. We can't sanctify a a pagan celebration that's been incorporated into the celebration of the birth of our Savior. But what we can do is allow God to sanctify us, to mature us in our faith, and to work through us. How does that happen? It's really not that complicated. It doesn't require any deep, deep strategic planning. You don't have to read a ton of books. You don't have to buy a program about how to pull it off. You don't even have to go bonkers and instead of putting up a tree, put up a cross and hang lights around it and people come in your house and you're like, what the heck is wrong with you? I'm like, let me tell you about my Christmas tree. My Savior was hung on this tree. You don't have to go that far. Allow God to mature you. Allow God to grow you in your faith. Allow God, through His Word, to reveal Himself to you more fully. And little by little, day by day, you hear that old story anew again. It's seven simple verses. But every time you hear it, you hear it anew, and you see more clearly who God is and what He has done for you. There is a God. And we must make a decision about what we say to that God. On Christmas, we either say to Him, Happy birthday, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to be born, to die for me. I turn my life over to you and live for your glory, not mine. And I know in that I'll find true joy and peace and happiness and hope. Or we say, get out of here. This is my day for my purposes, for my glory. I want my gifts. And he's coming back one day. And when he comes back, there's going to be a heck of a celebration for some. And when I send out my Christmas cards, when I celebrate Christmas with 32 non-believers, I want to invite them to the big party that's coming one day and celebrate Christmas before them, not pointing out bad, 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 but pointing out good, 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 love, 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 merry, merry, merry Christmas. Let me read these seven verses one more time, and I'll close with a prayer. It says, In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee 
from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Father God, I pray that you would help us to have a truly Merry Christmas. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, I pray, God, that you would open their eyes to the truth of who you are, that you would remove the distractions and the clutter, and that you would help them see clearly through eyes opened anew, through a heart made anew inside of them, and know who you are of your might and power and strength and holiness, and also of your mercy and love and forgiveness which you offer through Christ. God, I pray for those of us who know you, that we might be reminded again, because we so easily forget who you are, what you have done, and what we have become. God, I pray we might experience the joy, the hope, the love, and the peace that Christmas is all about. And I pray we might not go into the world timidly and be so easily conformed to it, but we might go into the world with all boldness with courage and with a sense of urgency, understanding the incredible gift that you gave us in Christ and the incredible gift you've entrusted to us through the gospel. I pray that we might have wisdom in how we share this good news with others. I pray we, not, we might not try to separate ourselves from the world, but I pray we would live as you call us to, in the world, but not of the world. I pray as we return to our homes today, all of the things we have in our homes might not be a distraction from what Christmas truly is, but an enhancement to it. I pray that as we gaze upon the trees in our homes, we might be reminded of the tree upon which our Savior hung. I pray as we gaze upon the lights that adorn our homes and mantles, that we might be reminded of the light who came. I pray as we give and receive gifts, we might do so understanding the gift that you gave to and entrusted to us. And we might not forget how to give a gift to you, Father, which you consider pleasing. God, I pray that you would guide us in this difficult land, that you would guide us with all wisdom to understand how to navigate these treacherous waters of life, to live for your glory and our joy which comes from such. In the precious and holy name, of our risen Lord and Savior, who was born on what we celebrate as Christmas Day. We pray all these things. Amen.